So every time, I was doing, a, I was performing a wedding ceremony yesterday, and every time I walk through a, uh, go through premarital with a couple that wants to get married, I am continually reminded how during that time, even though they're books that I've read multiple times um, and, and gone through with couples before these books, I am reminded every time of things in my life, in particular in my marriage as a, as a husband or as a father, things that aren't where they need to be. In other words, areas of my life that for whatever reason they've started to drift or, 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 or things that, that originally I was like, this is what I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to love my wife and, and that. And, 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 I, and I notice every time I do premarital that there's different areas that I'm, I, I go, man, I needed that today. Man, there's something there that, that I need to pay attention to and, and, and I need to, to change in my life right now because this isn't what I had originally uh, designed or, or said this is what I'm going to do uh, and be in my marriage. And, and, and I think for all of us, there are things that we've said, this is what I'm going to be about, this is what I'm going to do, and we do that a lot New Year's Eve, uh, and then about two months in, a, a lot of times we look back and go, man, uh, I, I'm not what I thought I would be at this point, because certain things that were a priority that we said we're going to be all in on, we're not all in on anymore. And, and, and so as Jesus followers, we continually need to be brought back to the reality of what God's called us into. And that's no different as a church. It's, it's, it's critical that we continue each year to go back to what we believe God's called us not only to do, but what he's called us to be. And that's why we're in this series. That's why we're going through this uh, the next three weeks here, uh, is to really unpack and, and, and to remind us what we felt called to be. Because as, as, a, as leaders, as, as a team of elders, we came collectively around the table and we said, okay, uh, what are we called to do and, and what are we called to be? And this is what we've uh, come to the conclusion of. First of all, what we're called to do, we are creating a healthy and inspired community that reaches, teaches, and releases people with the gospel through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to do. That we're all in on that. We want to create a healthy, inspired community uh, that reaches, teaches, and releases people with the gospel through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's our focus, right? Uh, but then we think about, well, who are we? Uh, what, what are we going to be? And, 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 and in particular, as a church, Ecclesia, what has he called us to be? And, and, and so we worked through uh, these behaviors that we pray define us as a church, define us uh, as leaders, define us in the community. Um, and, and so we're, my prayer is that, that it does. I pray that, that as we go through these each week, we go, yes, yes, as opposed to like, oh, ugh. Oh. So that's what I'm hopeful for. The number one core value, first one, is this. Glorify Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. And then in Luke chapter 2, uh, an angel appears to the shepherds um, announcing the birth of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Okay, so, so, so what do we see? Jesus is our Lord and he is our Savior. Now, when, when you see he is Lord or Yahweh in the Old Testament, that is the same name for God. And so when he says, I am Lord, uh, he is claiming his deity, okay? So, so he is our Lord. He is our Savior. Salvation comes through him. Our identity comes through him. He adopted us in as we went through the book of Ephesians and saw that Jesus came, saved us, and not only saved us, but adopted us into his family. Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to look at 15 through 17. I'll read verse 18 in a minute, but 15 through 17, it says this. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so so salvation, once again, it is found in him, not you. Salvation is found in him, not us. Okay, so, so we, here, here's the reality. As we talk about glorifying Jesus with our lives, we are in this day and age where it is all about how we can glorify ourselves to other people. In other words, we have, and a lot of it too is social media and that, but we build up these platforms, we, we, we build out these narratives of our lives that we share with people, and, and what does it look like? Well, a lot of times it's like, look at what I've beaten, look at what I've overcome, look at what I've made of myself, and so we highlight this, and when you look at like even HGTV, what dominates it, it's, it's the what? It's the do-it-yourself, right? The problem is we've taken this, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've created, uh, whether it's something that we with ourselves or or just something that we have created is we've built this do-it-yourself gospel we we, we've we've built out this this you can be your own salvation you can earn that you can work yourself there and and so we've we've created this mentality uh and and in reality it's it and it happens so quickly uh, but listen That's not the reality of what he's called us into. And that's not even the truth. As a Jesus follower, he's who I glorify, not myself. He's who I point to. He's who I wake up thinking about, how do I honor you and pursue you today? I've got this life. I've got this one life here on this planet that you've given me. How do I wake up every day with the reality that, God, you are coming back, and I pray that, that I will honor you and I will pursue you today. Um, I'm reminded, John the Baptist said it best. He must increase, I must decrease. And that's, that's the mindset we should be operating in individually, but collectively as a church, that's also how we should be operating in that same mindset, that we exist to glorify him collectively as a church, as we're unified around him. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, it said, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then Ephesians 2.20, it says, built on the foundation, uh, and and it's talking here about the church. It's talking about him establishing uh, this people group for himself, the church. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
Okay, so, so what do we see here? What do we read? Well, he's the head of the body, the church. He is preeminent. In other words, he's supreme over all. And, 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 and so he's the one. He is the creator of the church. Governments didn't create church. Jesus created the church. The church is his bride. We see a picture of his bride. We see it as a picture of his body. He's the head. So as the church, our call is to respond to his leadership, to his authority. Okay, so, so he gets to define what we're called to do and how we're called to operate. He's the creator, and so, so, so we should not be going, oh, we figured this thing out. We've, we know what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're going to do all these things and that. Hey, Jesus, try and keep up. No, he should be the one defining it, defining how we move forward. We should continually come back to him because ultimately our purpose is to glorify him. When people say that they have a problem with church, and, and I have lots of conversations with people that, 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 have, that have issues with church, and some of them, uh, man, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense that you would have a problem with church because you've experienced this. You've heard someone say that. You've been treated in this way. You've been excluded in this. And, and so you have a lot of people with stories about why they, they are anti-church, don't want anything to do with religion. Or, or I've had people say, I will never enter a church again. In fact, some of you, that was you. And maybe that's today for some of you. But when they say that to me, I just say, uh, that's great. We, we meet at the Bob Kiefer Center. It's not even a church. Come on in. You know? But a lot of us work through that. And when someone says that, or even when maybe you've said that, what you really look at is that person, when, when you start to question it, their problem isn't God's design for the church. Their problem is people in the church. And, 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 and so... When you look at this, I, I go, man, I, I look at God's design for the church, and I'll tell them God's design for the church, and they're all in with that, and, and I'll ask. I'll say, why in the world would you take a problem you have with people and then make it a problem you have with Jesus? Don't do that. Don't do that, because here's the reality. Until he comes back, we're going to have people problems. We just are, unfortunately. Like, like there's, there's, we're, we're flawed, amen? If you can't say amen to that, I'm glad you're here. We're all flawed. We all have struggles. Every single one of us in this room have different struggles. And when you look around, uh, there's people with different struggles that are going through different things uh, that they're trying to get through, uh, uh, get over, or, or recover from. And so we see that. And, and we're all hypocrites as well, which is just frustrating. Yeah, it would be a lot easier to say, you're all hypocrites, I'm not. But I know there are many things that I will say and do through the course of a day that do not align with what I say I believe. And so we, we all have those moments where we're hypocrites as well. And so what do we do? Well, my prayer is that we bring them here, not hide them from here. Because most people, they take the opposite approach. They're like, I don't want to go to church because then I'm going to be confronted with that. I might have to deal with that. Uh, whereas I pray that we run to church because I go, we go, man, I need that. I need that community. I need someone to walk through this with me and to go through this uh, with somebody else. But, but we see that, that we become so turned off to the reality that, that the, the, there's, there's these people here that don't align and, and say what I wish they would say and, and live up to the standard and all that. You guys, we're going to have people problems here. Jesus had people problems in his inner circle. Why do you think we won't? I mean, you look at who, who like Jesus' closest 
followers, the people that were with him, through the miracles, through the different teachings, the moments he said, hey, did you see that? Do you understand what I'm doing here? All of that, and yet we see continual issues. You see Peter having a temper problem over and over. Some great things, and then you go, man, what are you doing? You see arguments between his his close uh, group, and you see arguments of who's the greatest, right? Who's the best? Um, We see lots of fear moments, like moments when they should have been strong, and yet what? They were afraid. There's a storm. Oh, no, we're all going to die. Somebody wake Jesus up. Let him know we're all going to die, you know? Like, and he's just like, why are you afraid? So many moments where where they lack faith and that. And then ultimately, the greatest example is what? It's Judas. The guy that is handling the money for the ministry is stealing the money and then ultimately for more money puts Jesus on the cross. And for whatever reason we go, man, I'm not going to have people problems. See, we've got to understand that this is a reality, but how we can come together, how I pray we come together and utilize the giftings he's given us is it's, it's an incredible opportunity to be a complete picture of his body. And that's what he wants to build with us. That's what he wants to do. In, in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, it says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how we use our giftings should be done in a way that glorifies him. The moment you became a Jesus follower, he gave you these incredible giftings, these spiritual gifts um, uh, that, 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 he, that he built out for you. There's so much intentionality with every single one of us. And, and, and as he's given you those gifts, those gifts he's designed for you to receive you have the opportunity to either make them about you or to give them back to him as you use them to honor and to glorify him. The problem is, once again, that selfishness can creep in and we can start to make ourselves the point of the giftings. And this is really dangerous if if your gifting is more public. You have to guard against this. We have to guard against this. It's also dangerous if maybe your gifting isn't something that people see or appreciate or notice. We have to be content to serve for an audience of one. At the end of the day, I can't get into my car after this and sit there and go, man, I I hope they're happy. Man, I saw that one person look at me. I I don't think that was a good look. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. I have to, at the end of the day, get into my car and go, God, how did I honor you? Were you glorified? Were you the hero today? Or did I try and replace you with me? And, 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 and regardless of whether, how public that is or how private that is, that's our opportunity to daily put into practice these incredible giftings he's given you, uh, whatever that may be, and you have the opportunity to give that back to him by loving other people, by being an extension of that, knowing that when you do that, you are completing the picture of his body for other people to see and to know that he's in control. As we focus on glorifying him, we see that he starts to unify us as one voice and we become a fully functioning 
healthy body. And this is what's so incredible. This is what's so beautiful. I read these verses last week. We're going to read them again. Romans 15, 5 and 6, it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one accord, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so as I shared, even last week, what happens is incredible. As we focus on glorifying him, as he becomes the focal point, what happens is he starts to unify us, harmonize us. And, 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 and that's not meaning, uh, once again, that, that it's like uniformity, that we all become just the same person. No, it's actually more beautiful because of the diversity, because of the differences in us, that he unifies into this one harmonized voice to him and people see it and they go no way how does that happen how does that work and it and, and it's literally like like there's no other way to explain it other than Jesus did that as as I was sitting there and are standing there yesterday during this wedding ceremony and and the and the groom and the bride are, are sharing some things to each other before they go into their vows what they're highlighting about each other is not everything that, was, that they had in common. They weren't saying all the things they thought the same on. You know what was so incredible? Is they're highlighting all the things that are different about each other, and yet God took to unify them together, almost like a, this beautiful puzzle where God knew you had to be different in order for him to do something incredible and bring together this incredible oneness that we see that marriage is designed to be. And what, what is the church again? What is the picture? We are the bride of Christ. So he wants to take even our differences. Remember, every tribe, tongue, nation, he wants to bring together uh, into this image, in the beauty of the triune God, glorifying him with a united one voice. And, 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 and when the world sees that, they can only point to one thing, to God, because nobody's doing that right now. We are way more content and infatuated with highlighting our differences. And so when I seek to glorify him, he does something that only he can do. We can write all the books. I can teach all the seminars I want on, on teamwork, on coming together and that. But at the end of the day, if our heart as a church is not to glorify him, we cannot accomplish this unifying effect, this harmonizing thing left to ourselves. We just can't. He has to do it. And, and one of the things that, that, that's so apparent that we, have to, that we have to understand and know that if, if his goal is to showcase his body to the world, for, him, for, for, for the world to see this, who is going to be in opposition to that? The enemy, Satan. So what is he going to do? He is going to try to create discord so that he can showcase to the world a disjointed body, a body that fights against itself. And so with him trying to do that, one of the things that I know is so critical, uh, especially now when, like no other time, we're just being, it's being almost thrown into our faces, the differences that people have, our family, uh, our friends, and their beliefs, whatever that may be um, during these times. And, and, and it's like we can't escape, and we find ourselves consumed thinking about somebody else, thinking about somebody else, uh, their family, thinking about their issues, thinking about how they're in disagreement to me. And, and, I get, and, and the danger with all of that is I lose my focus on God and glorifying him. The reality is this. You can't deal with those things right if you haven't dealt with him first. So I have to glorify him. As I glorify him, he gives me the perspective I need in handling the conflicts I have to my left and to my right. 
In fact, as I focus on glorifying him, he helps me to see these things as they are, these people as they are. That these people, regardless of how much I disagree with them or how much I may be just in conflict with them, I can actually start to see, because of him, that they are image bearers of Jesus, and that's enough for me uh, to be able to go and to love them. But only he can do that. Which leads us to the next one, number two, core values, is to love one another. So glorify Jesus, we are then called to love one another as a church. In Mark chapter 12, a, a scribe asked Jesus about um, the greatest commands, and he responds and says in Mark 12, 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then in John 15, 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we, too, we see two very distinct callings here, right? We see the calling to love other people as we love ourselves. And then secondly, we are called to love other people as he has loved us. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about how we're, when we come together, uh, we're called to literally treat each other as family. And, and we know that Jesus has adopted us into his family, but we're to look at each other as brothers and sisters and, and treat each other in that way. So, so he has a very high standard in how we should be loving each other. Because how did he love us? He calls us to replicate that love to other people. What did he do for us? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First John 3, 16 through 18, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, but in deed and, or word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You guys, how did he love us? Well, he, 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 did what? he did what? He gave his life for us. He literally went to the cross for us in this unimaginable way. He willingly sacrificed his life for you and for me. He, and, he, and he didn't just like, and forgive me, I'm going to get worked up here, because I just feel like we cheapen his love. I just don't think we do it justice. I think we, just, we were so used to reading it, seeing it, hearing messages on it, books about it. And we just cheapen this incredible love to where he went to the cross for you and for me in a, in a, in a horrific way. That, that he, the things he had to go through for you and for me. And, then, and literally he had to also just sacrifice his own desire. Because remember he said, Father, if there's any other way. Yet not my will, your will be done. Okay, so he even, the kind of love he's calling and inviting us into and saying you do this is a love that is going to require and ask of you to love somebody else who, one, isn't deserved of it, hasn't earned it, will not reciprocate that love potentially, and, 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 and also you're not going to feel like loving them. 
Like, like we hear about these love talks, and it's like, hey, just love people, and, and it's going to be so awesome, and God's just going to lead you into that, and, 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 and you're just going to feel so satisfied, and you're going to see God just, oh, it's going to be great. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you're reading, but this love doesn't look like it's going to be just a great experience. <laughs> Like, it's going to be tough. I mean, love like Jesus, I know that he sweat drops of blood. I know that he asked if there's any other way, and he's Jesus, and he's perfect. And, and, and I also know that who he did that for is me, and I know that I've got a lot of issues. And I know that there's a lot of people that still do not believe in him or want anything to do with him. And he knew that, and yet he still did it. He still did that. Guys, that's tough because, man, we just, we don't love that way. He was, a humble, he was a humble servant. His love for us led him to serve us. John 13, uh, 14, it says, If I then, your Lord, and he's talking to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Guys, I get it. We've heard a lot of these feet washing stories in the Bible. We know that Jesus was about it. But, but I just wonder, do we actually really get it? Like, do we actually understand that there is another level, another degree of love that he's calling us to? I mean, the fact that the Savior of the world gets on his knees and all the nastiness. Okay, they didn't have those heated floors that some of you have in your house. Okay, he gets on that nastiness, and then he's got feet, okay? And these aren't all nice, all done up feet and everything else. No, these are flip-flopping feet that have flip-flopped with flip-flops all throughout the known world, which was dirt, and it was gross, and it was stinky, and he, it was for a servant, and Jesus got on his hands and knees and started cleaning. And then he looks at them and he says, listen, I did this for you, you did this for other people. That's the calling, you guys. Like there's a different kind of love he's calling us to. And, I, and I've read that and I've seen that. Oh yeah, wash people's feet and, you know, and all that. Like, like, like you know, that's not a foot massage for your wife. That, this is totally different. This is totally different. You think he felt like doing that? Man, that's a degree of love to where I self-sacrifice for somebody else, my comforts, my desires. And he says, I want you to love like that. See, you serve who you love, you sacrifice for what you love, and then we see the true defining mark of God's kind of love that he calls us into towards each other. And this is what it is. His love doesn't create qualifications for who's worthy of it. See, he didn't exclude certain types of people from this love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, nobody that comes to Ecclesia, whether it's in person or online or in a group or a watch group or, or all these other things that are going on that I don't even fully know about all the time, but, but nobody should come and feel excluded from the love of Jesus. I am in opposition to that, let me tell you. 
Anybody should be able to walk through these doors and experience the love of Jesus. I should model it. I should speak that. I pray that you model it. I pray that it's not something that we just do when we're here in this space. I pray that it's something that we're known for, that our coworkers know that, our classmates, our roommates, uh, our siblings, our sons, our daughters, our parents. I pray that they know that, that, that we're going to extend the love of Jesus regardless of, of, of who's deserved of it, who, who, who has earned it, or, or who's lovable. Or, or any of those things, like, like we have to guard ourselves against our selfish kind of love. Because here's the reality, you guys. Like, let's, let's be honest. There are certain people, you meet them, or you may even see them across the room, and you know what we think sometimes? I think we would be good friends. Like, man, they, the way they dress, looks like they like those things. We, sh- we should probably be friends. And we'll think that, and we'll build up this situation. And guess what we'll do? We'll be like, I'm going to go talk to them. See, see, the, the difficulty here is the love he's calling us to is, is, is not the people that we want him to call us to. See, when someone says, Steve, how are you loving? Or how are you loving people right now in your life? You know what I'm going to go to? I'm going to go to the easy ones, right? I'm going to think of Lindsay. Now, I would, I pray, love Lindsay even if God wasn't in my life. She's my wife. I think of my boys. Oh, I'm, man, I'm, I'm loving well. Well, I, I, I hope I, I love them. They're, they're my sons. And the oldest really looks like me. I, I better love them. Right? But, but honestly, when, when we think about loving, and a lot of times when we read the Bible, we look at just the people that are the easiest to love. And we negate what the real call to love and and who he's actually calling us to when he says to love in a way that reflects God. Because in Matthew 5, 44, it does not sit well with the kind of love that I'm that's convenient. It says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I mean, this changes our whole view of of who we're called to love. And, and, And it changes your prayers. There's certain people in your life that you have literally labeled, that's my Goliath. That person is Goliath. And, and our prayers usually are, God, take them out in your name, in love. Take them out. Remove them. As opposed to when I start to look at loving how he's called me to love and pray for my enemy, now all of a sudden my prayer request is not, God, take out Goliath. It's, God, I pray that you save Goliath. And God, just maybe use me to help bring him to an understanding of you. Do you see what happens here? It's a totally, it's a totally different change. And when Jesus is coming on the scene, he redefines, like, like when, when literally a lawyer says, he's trying to catch Jesus up, he's in Luke chapter 10, he says, hey, so who is my neighbor? After he's already like, felt pretty good about his standing uh, before God, he says, so, so who is my neighbor that I'm called to love? And I love what Jesus says. Jesus goes into a parable about the good Samaritan. 
And he tells a story that, that many of you have heard where, where this guy is, is traveling from one town to the next and he's robbed and then he's beaten and left for dead. And, and, and then Jesus says, so, so hey, a priest comes by and they're all like, oh yeah, the priest will help. No, the priest walked right by. A Levite, oh, we love Levites. The Levite comes by and, and he walks right on by. But then he says, there's a Samaritan. And you can just hear the audience probably going, oh yeah, of course, Ugh, get him out. You know, because Samaritan, when you read about Samaria or Samaritans in the Bible, that is not like a compliment. They used to walk around Samaria so they didn't have to deal with them. They're considered these half-breeds, these, these people that worship differently, that, that, that were not like them. And so they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. And Jesus says, this is about a Samaritan. A Samaritan that sees this man, this Samaritan goes, bandages him up, puts him up in a hotel, and says, I'll cover all the costs, make sure this guy's okay. And then Jesus looks at this rich guy and says, okay, so who, who demonstrated mercy here? He said, well, the guy that extended compassion, he couldn't even say the name. Couldn't even say Samaritan. He didn't want to say that. Jesus was turning this whole view of love upside down. You think of the prodigal son. I mean, come on. Your son coming up to you. Hey, dad, I wish you were dead, but you're not. But can I have my money now? Tell you what, if you're a kid right now, try that conversation. Let me know how it goes. You're about to be out, okay? <laughs> and, and he goes, and yet the father gives him that, and then he goes and he does what? He parties and spends it all and to where he hits rock bottom, and then he thinks about it and considers and goes, man, my dad's servants had it better than this. And, and he goes back, and, and we anticipate, right? We would anticipate the father waiting to say, I told you so. The father going, no, 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 you had your chance, and all of that, and you wasted it. And yet we see a father waiting and running then to embrace his son. Totally different, right? Isn't that just that's, just, that's totally different. That's a different kind of love, you guys. And we see Jesus just modeling this, this love, the love for the people that were cast out, the love for the people that were deemed unlovely. We see him having a conversation with this woman at a well, and, 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 and he's having this conversation, he, and, and everyone's like, oh, what, what, what was he talking to her for? I mean, because what? How many marriages did she have? One, two, three, four. Listen, guys, four is it for me. I haven't met someone at five. Guess what? Five. She was at five. Been through five, and the guy she was with, she wasn't married to, and it wasn't a good thing. Jesus loves her. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, keep going. It's working. No. Right? Sometimes we're like, oh, we'll just affirm all the bad things. <laughs> That's not love. But we see him modeling something different. We see the woman that was caught in adultery, and they bring her out, and, 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 and we got a party here. We're going we're gonna to execute this person. Because they were just so warped in their mind. And Jesus says, hey, great. Well, you who is without sin cast the first stone. Just a different way of looking at people and loving people. See, his love is evident when you love those who don't love you back. Those incapable of loving you back unworthy of loving you back, and even your enemy. See, you guys, that's why his kind of love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a kind of love that you can't produce on your own. Because I'll tell you what, the love that I give from my flesh, guess what I continue to do? I try to take it, and then it becomes selfish. 
The love that I say I give, I actually take it back and, and turn it in a way where I'm the beneficiary uh, or, or I start to, you know, um, question things like, why should I love them? You know, what have they done to deserve that? What, like, like, what have they done for me that, that has earned the right for me to love them in this way? Like, like, so I start to qualify whether they deserve it. And then I start to keep score uh, as to, you know, like, because there's a number apparently in my head to when now they're worthy of my love. But I do that. Um, with people, and, and I find this out, in, that, that, that this is something in my flesh that I struggle with. And listen, guys, this, this is not God's kind of love. This is very much a Steve problem because the Holy Spirit-led love is selfless. It's not selfish. The love that you and I produce in ourselves is selfish, and, and it may not be selfish right now, but you're going to take it and make it selfish. You just will. That's why we have to have the Holy Spirit leading our lives. We have to be thinking, how do I glorify him in this, and how do I love them as he's called me to love them because when I do that, the fruit of the spirit kind of love allows me to serve them and it allows me to actually put to bed all these different feelings, all these thoughts I have and just say, God, that's an image bearer of you. You've called me to love them. I'm going to love them. And that's enough. Guys, this means we love people we even disagree with. People who think differently, look differently, or sound differently than us. It's a love for those who have nothing to offer us or want anything to do with us. And this should be the environment that we build. This should be an expectation that I have uh, of being a part of Ecclesia. That, that I'm going to love differently. That, that, that I'm going to love in some inconvenient ways. I'm going to extend love to some people that maybe I would not love in any other context, but God has brought them here. God has opened this door, and I'm going to be an extension of him. And, 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 and once again, this doesn't mean that we're bending truth in order to do this, you guys. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, next week, I'm going to talk about walking in truth. It's one of our core values. But you've got to realize that God is both love and he's truth. Okay? Like, like God's love cannot be given in the absence of truth. But how we speak truth, how we deliver truth, we are determined to do that in and out of love. How we disagree, how we handle conflict is going to be done in love. We are determined to do that. I pray that that, that defines who we are. John 13, 35. Uh, he said it best, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The question that I have for us is, if people know that you're a Jesus follower, how did they find out that you were a Jesus follower? What was it that gave it away that you're a Jesus follower? I think that's a, a great question. And I think I also want to ask, what would you hope would be the thing that people see and that they, that they go, they must be a Christian. What's your desire for that? See, you know, it's so interesting. These, are, these three Sundays were designed to be these vision Sundays, right? A vision of where we're going. And I'm sitting there like, hey, I don't even know if we're going to be able to meet next week. 
right? So, so, so all of a sudden, we're forced to deal with this, like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do that. And I know it's not just like a church thing, right? Like, like you're dealing with that individually, you're doing that with your family, your kids. Um, you know, some of you, your kids were in school, they're out, and they're, uh, and, you're, and they're like, what are we doing? And you're like, I don't know, I don't know what's going like, on. And, and we're forced into all these things that, that honestly just make life really hard to look forward to anything and go, all right, this is where we're headed, this is what it's going to look like. But I cannot allow all of these things to distract me from the reality that every morning I can wake up right now and say, God, how do I glorify you? How can I glorify you today? And God, right, right, right there with that prayer request is, God, who can I love today? God, not, not like, I, I know my kids are going to run in here. I'm going to love them. But God, who do I really need to love today? Who are you calling me to love? That's going to be inconvenient. That's going to be hard. And maybe it's family. Maybe it's not. But God, who are you asking me to love? See, I still can wake up every day and ask that request and pursue that as a church. Whether we're meeting in person, online, whatever. We can still as a church model this and be this. We can. And we have to continue to push forward with that mentality. Because I'm telling you right now, uh, there's enough distractions to pull us in all these different directions. And we're going to lose sight that God can do all of these incredible things even right now. Even with these different limitations. I mean, some of us, we're like, we're wearing a mask and we're trying to have a conversation. We don't even know what they're saying. I mean, some of us have had conversations, like me, I've had multiple conversations with some of you. And I thought you were somebody else. It's happened, okay? So, so I just go, well, God, it's like no point. Like, da 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 Like, why do I even do the greeting time anymore? Ugh. You know, like, or I say, God, how are we going to glorify you? How are we going to love each other? How are we going to do that? And God, whatever you, you say, whatever you point us to, we're going to do it. Guys, some of the people that have encouraged me the most, that have shown incredible love towards me, that I've experienced to the point where it almost makes me emotional. There are people, you guys, uh, that I haven't even seen in almost seven months. And, and, and they haven't said, I have to see Steve in order for him to know he's loved. Guys, let's stop creating all these requirements for if we're going to do this or not. Let's just do it. And let's leave the results up to God and be obedient. He wants to do something incredible with this church and with us individually. And it starts with glorifying him, and then we're going to love each other well. Amen? Let's pray.